Welcome to Top Stories, I'm Andy Zaltzman. Let's take you back now to November 2007, when the entire world was gripped by happenings at the third OPEC summit. Saudi Arabia hosted and didn't exactly do their green credentials much good, as I discussed with John Oliver. Top story, and there's only been one story on everyone's lips this week, and that story has been the OPEC summit. OPEC had a major summit. In fact, it was only its third in 47 years. So, for all you summit fans out there, this is a very rare one. It's akin to seeing a comet, or perhaps a glossy-mantled manacode. In fact, you could barely move for hundreds of socially awkward summit spotters in cagoules, excitedly scribbling into their notebooks before being dragged away by Saudi police. They're like, they're like buses, aren't they, OPEC summits? That's right. You wait ages for one, and then it's completely pointless without fuel. <laughs> But what a summit it was, Andy. If you like oil and the people who produce it, this is your Super Bowl. <laughs> but, of course, OPEC isn't just about the oil anymore. It's like they say in their brochure, come for the oil, stay for the inflammatory political rhetoric. <laughs> when you think that OPEC members include the likes of Iran, Iraq, Libya and Venezuela, they traditionally have some of the world's jauntiest leaders. Dream team of lunacy. I would like to see the OPEC summit every six months, just for the entertainment those leaders can provide. King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia, he started off with the, quote, oil shouldn't be a tool for conflict, it should be a tool for development. Which doesn't sound inflammatory until you find out that he then winked and said, only joking, before high-fiving the rest of the members and moonwalking out of the chamber, shouting, I told you I'd say it, you owe me a tuna wrap, Chavez. They have reached a compromise now whereby oil uh, is a tool for the development of conflict. So we, mm. as consumers, do get the best of both worlds. Does that mean that conflict is no longer a sustainable resource? Yes, but for every conflict uh, completed, they are starting a new conflict in okay. another oil-producing region, so it is sustainable. Once again, the headlines were stolen by Ahmadinejad, who is fast becoming the Roger Federer of international lunacy. He just looks unbeatable. When you think there's nothing for him to have a go at America over, he somehow, from somewhere, pulls out something at an incredible angle. <laughs> and, yeah, it's great to watch if you're a fan of that kind of thing. You know, you've just got to admire class. He referred to the American dollar as a worthless piece of paper. Now, listen, Mahmood. When you deny the Holocaust, that's one thing. When you talk of America as the great Satan, that's another thing. But you insult a country's currency... Oh, you just crossed the line, mister. You don't hear Americans criticising the Iranian real, do you? No, because they know where the line is. Leave it out! And it was only going to get worse, Andy. There has been a high-profile currency defector. I hope you're sitting down to hear this, America. Although, if your obesity statistics are to be believed, you probably are. Because... In Jay-Z's new video, Blue Magic, Mr. Z is seen swanning around New York with wads of euros in his hand. <laughs> et two, Jay. Et two. <laughs> Don't worry, because it's not actually as bad as it sounds, Andy. Jay-Z has always been openly supportive of a single European currency, believing strongly in its ability to improve trade across the EU. His song, for instance, 99 Problems, clearly outlines the 99 ways in which Britain keeping the pound would be a mistake, both economically and in terms of Britain standing with its European neighbours. It also has a ferocious beat. Rap has a long and proud history of playing the currency markets. Ja Rule's song, Daddy's Little Baby, is actually a love song to the yen. And Snoop Doggy Dog's Snoop's Upside Your Head is actually about the dangers of hyperinflation. 50 cents is now, in fact, 50 euro cents, which means that he is effectively now 75 cent, roughly. So look out for uh, his new album, just a quarter short of a dollar. 
John, you, um, as we discovered uh, last week, I believe, you met Pervez Musharraf, uh, the Correct. Pakistani leader. That's right. Uh, I've never actually met a world leader, although I did almost get drawn against Colonel Gaddafi in a table tennis round robin a couple of years ago. Oh. But is there any chance that you might meet Ahmadinejad? Let's hope little chance, Andy, right. but he was here about uh, six months ago for the UN summit, so I was in the same city as him then. So I think maybe we should ask Bugle listeners, if John gets to meet Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, <laughs> what should he ask him? Do email us at thebugle at timesonline.co.uk. If I ever do get the chance to meet Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the first question I'm going to be asking is, please, can you release me? And I want to speak to the British consulate. Uh, now, in a surprise move, there was even talk of alternative energies at the summit. Saudi Arabia donated $300 million to green energy research. But let's put that in context. Most of the Saudi royal family have $200 million down the back of their sofa. <laughs> And also, their annual oil revenue is in excess of $150 billion. So giving $300 million to a green technology fund is somewhat akin to Stalin giving away a 10-ruble book token as a prize in a poetry competition. Too little, <laughs> too late, Joseph. Also, there was the release this week of a huge IPCC report on climate change. What grade did they give the world? It was a D-. minus. Now, Ban Ki-moon, uh, Secretary-General of the UN, uh, said that the melting he saw was as frightening as science fiction movies. But, again, let's get this in context. This is from a man who wets himself whenever someone mentions E.T. <laughs> and he went on to warn that in the future the Earth could be unrecognisable. In fact, it does seem that the only thing you'll recognise in future years is that we'll be still polluting the Earth. <laughs> and people will be driving around in SUVs through scorched wastelands where cities used to be, saying, this is still not conclusive proof, it's just a phase the world is going through, it will grow out of it. <laughs> Barely a day goes by now without some scientist coming careering out of his laboratory screaming something about the end of the world being nigh. But, uh, as always, when the UN IPCC puts out a report, governments around the world were quick to spring into action and think about holding a summit to talk about doing stuff to marginally reduce the pace of Armageddon. The problem, it does seem, is that a lot of uh, leaders, in particular uh, your president in America, uh, John, seem to remain unconvinced about the long-term economic benefits of saving the world. That's true. Still, perhaps waiting till they can find a military solution to the environmental crisis. Mm -hmm. And I guess... We do have to look at the bottom line here and be realistic. I mean, yes, we all like to have a planet to live in, but sometimes you do have to take tough financial decisions that not everyone approves of. If one of those decisions to condemn the world to a fiery end for the sake of maintaining share prices and opinion poll ratings, well, so be it, John. I'll stand by that, Andy. He's my commander-in-chief, too. Ban Ki-moon also said that he looked forward to China and the US taking a more constructive role in environmental issues, presumably in the same way in which a little girl looks forward to her absent father bringing her a pony on her birthday, whilst knowing deep down that father and the pony are never coming. Another report this week revealed that Australia's power stations are the greatest polluters in the world, producing five times more CO2 per capita than China. Andy, this is a huge shock result. You've got to hand it to the Australians. Well, the thing is, they are just so naturally competitive, John. That, True. You know, as soon as they heard there was a table of the world's top polluters, they just couldn't help but win it, really. And they actually do quite like the environment in Australia, especially as most of them live by the sea on the edge of a massive <laughs> desert. But as soon as it gets competitive, <laughs> I'm afraid that just goes out of the window. They have to win. You're right, Andy. And you can bet that on the day of full Armageddon, there will be a single Australian with a gold medal around his neck screaming, 
screaming Aussie, Aussie, Aussie into the air before cocking his ear forward for the response. So, uh, if you're particularly concerned about the latest environmental reports, and in particular about a species that you know that you think might be becoming extinct, do call the Bugles special phone line 0800 800 800 800, 800 and we will try and find that species for you. That was another top story. Thank you for listening. Now pop over to the mothership and listen to the latest Bugle podcast and all the other shows in our phenomenal stable. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.